Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So one of the things being home more, traveling around less has done for me is that I'm noticing signs more often that used to be just simply white noise. Signs are there to help give us direction to keep us safe, like beware of dog. So how many of you seen, have seen that sign and you ignored it thinking, well, if they have a dog, it's just a puny chihuahua and you discovered a Rottweiler. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me and my scarred memories from UPS days. I don't know. I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> or slippery when wet. Anyone ever fallen by that sign? Or how about the social distancing six-foot signs? Last week we were on an 11-mile hike. We saw the sign out in the middle of nowhere on a covered bridge on a forest service road with no one in sight or even in shouting distance. I mean, we really needed the reminder there. The sign that tends to be the most is something like dangerous cliffs keep off. You know, I'm not normally a rule breaker, but these kinds of signs I often see as optional. And sometimes, like last week, my ignoring of signs resulted in a mishap. And it was raining, the rocks on a hike were wet, and I took a tumble. The aches and bruises I'm still feeling today remind me, I, I just don't want to be one of those risk takers who catches that gust of wind or trips with the drastic consequences. You know, I could be like the 68-year-old woman who was fatally scalded exploring a Chilean geyser, or the woman who climbed over the barrier at the Arizona Zoo and got mauled to death by a jaguar. I need to pay attention to signs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, as a kid, so, uh, the sign do not climb the fence meant climb it really quickly. And do not run meant run and prove that you can do it without harm to yourself and others. <laughs> so what kinds of signs do you follow? And what signs don't you follow? Remember a time when you followed a sign and you benefited for it? Or maybe you remember a time when you missed or ignored a sign and you suffered for it? As we continue to explore the one big story of the Bible, we keep seeing signs God gives his people. God loves his people tenaciously, seeking to warn them when they're in the middle of danger. So what are the, some of the signs God is giving you that you may not be paying attention to? Signs that apply to your relationship with him, your family, your friends, your job, or your emotional, spiritual, or physical health. In this big story, we find ourselves now near the end of Northern Kingdom of Israel, and the impending end of Judah because of their continued rejection of God's danger signs. Now last week, Jeremy looked at the prophet Amos and the Northern Kingdom. After Amos comes Hosea. Now we did an entire Advent series on Hosea. You may remember the story. God asked Hosea, a man of God, to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Now despite an opportunity for a new life, Gomer continues to be unfaithful. They have several children, some may be Hosea, some may not. Um, Gomer leaves Hosea for another man. Yet Hosea continues to be faithful and pursue her. He finally finds her being sold as a slave, and Hosea buys her back again to be his wife, even after all of the rejection and unfaithfulness. It's a painful yet powerful story of how God wanted to use Hosea's real life to show how far God is willing to go to reclaim those who have turned against him. In Hosea, we see God speak to the people of Israel, saying, For the spirit of whoredom is within them, Israel, and they know not the Lord. So yet knowing they're going to repeatedly be unfaithful to him, God continues to persistently pursue them, saying, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Come home to the one who loves you. And God still offers this invitation to every single one of us today. 
The invitation is come home to the one who loves you. Mm-hmm. See, Israel heard the message but didn't respond to the sign. Uh, the secret of Israel's success was their God. Uh, they, we keep seeing this never-ending cycle of Israel being blessed when they followed God and listened to God. I mean, their relationship with God is meant to cause other nations to say, we want to get to know this God too. And we see when Israel walked closely with God, they were joy-filled and blessed. But when they got distracted with other pursuits, their lives and their community would break down. How does your life and your attitude, your relationships change when you're not walking closely with God or paying attention to his guiding signs? I mean, throughout Israel's 208 years through 39 kings, both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah repeatedly turned their backs on God, leading to drastic and painful consequences. Mm -hmm. Through the prophets, God warns, begs these two nations relentlessly through sign after sign, trying to convince them to turn from their sinfulness so that they can enjoy the great relationship with him and the great life he intends. The overarching theme of the Bible is God saying to us, I love you and want you to be part of my perfect community and all that you have to do is put me first in your life. But they chose instead to reject God's rules for living and became horribly inaccurate reflections of God's character. The Bible tells us they even threw their own children into the fire as sacrifices to their pagan gods and they Mm -hmm. sold themselves to perform evil acts with others. They ignored all the commands God gave them. God's messengers sound the alarm with sign after sign, telling the people to repent before it's too late. But the people continue to worship their false gods. And then a brutal invasion happens. The full force and fury of the Assyrian army lays waste to Israel. Samaria, their main city, falls after a three-year siege. The Israelites are deported to Assyria or other conquered lands of Assyria. History refers to those that were deported as the lost tribes of Israel because they simply do not exist as tribes, let alone a nation. What most likely happened is the Assyrians split them up and sent them to various cities. They intermarried and eventually lost their cultural identities. These descendants of Abraham who were given their own land and had once worshiped God and enjoyed his protection are now gone. All that is left of God's special nation is tiny Judah, the southern kingdom made up of two of the 12 tribes led by a young king named Hezekiah. And out of the 39 kings, Hezekiah was one of the five good ones. Yeah. Hezekiah was 25 when he began to reign. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord was with him, and he, he was successful in what he did. He, he, he stood up against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, being left small, uh, as Judah was, they were vulnerable to attack. The Assyrians had just wiped out Israel, one of the many nations they had conquered. And they're now on the border of Judah, eager to conquer Judah too. But first, the king of Assyria offers Hezekiah a chance to surrender. Hezekiah refuses. Then the Assyrian king tries to intimidate the citizens of Judah, warning them to not trust in Hezekiah as God, but the people remain loyal to their king. Hezekiah turns to God and prays a prayer that I think shows he knows God's heart and God's Mm -hmm. plan. He says, deliver us from his, the king of Assyria's hands, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. He knows that if his tiny kingdom survives an attack from a much larger Assyrian army, everyone will know that God is who he says he is and that the pagan gods of the Assyrians are powerless idols, not even true gods. So then we see the king of Assyria send his field commander to intimidate Hezekiah, saying in front of all the people, he says this, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. And do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. 
Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And then the emissary goes on to list the nations Assyria has conquered already, reminding them of the crushing blow that just happened, their conquering of Israel. So clearly outnumbered and facing a brutal defeat, Hezekiah tears his clothes in utter desperation and he reaches out to the prophet Isaiah to ask God for help. Now Isaiah was a prophet for decades serving Israel and the northern kingdom until its demise, and now he's focused on Judah. Isaiah sent a prophetic word back to Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Now as it turns out, there is no attack. The angel of the Lord entered the Assyrian camp just outside of Judea and killed 185,000 enemy soldiers. The Assyrian king woke up in the morning and found most of his army lying dead on the ground, leading this powerful and arrogant king to retreat to Nineveh. Now after arriving back in Nineveh, he is assassinated by the sword as the prophet said would happen. Such a decisive victory for Judah. And after seeing the sign of what had happened to Israel, along with this miraculous sign that God did in sparing Judah from a similar fate, which led to Judah having a season of blessing and peace, you would think that Judah would never consider abandoning God and returning to idol worship. But then we consistently see how God's people have a hard time living for God when everything is going well. But that, that never happens to us today, no, right? No, Hezekiah died after faithfully serving God for 29 years. His son Manasseh inherited the throne and did the exact opposite of his father. Yeah. He did abominable practices such as using mediums and necromancers and even threw his own son into the fires of one of the altars to a pagan god. The nation again turns its back on God and was plunging further and further into reprehensible practices that surpassed the evil of any other nation. God gave Judah yet another warning sign saying, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Manasseh and all the people of Judah didn't pay attention. Manasseh was actually captured by the Assyrian army in the most humiliating way. They put a hook in his nose, bound his hands and feet with shackles, and led him away in plain sight of his subjects. Now, years after Manasseh's death, the Babylonians destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem and deported Judah's residents to Babylon. So how was God's plan to bring a Messiah from the tribe of Judah, who would offer salvation to all of humanity, going to happen? How could they trust God's promises. Well, we see the answer clearly in the prophet Isaiah's writing. So let's look a little bit more closely at him. Isaiah's call as a prophet of God came in a powerful vision. He saw the Lord on his throne with fiery angels surrounding God and worshiping him. And he describes his calling as, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, well, hear him, I am, send me. And he, and he said, go and say this to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive, lest they see with their or eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So God is trying to say that he knows their fickleness. He knows that after hundreds of years, their repentance won't be real without more severe consequences. It goes on, and then Isaiah said, Well, how long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants. 
And God goes on to describe a tenth of the people will be left in the land as a holy seed. Now, like all prophets, Isaiah's main message is to call the people back to God. And mm -hmm. God let Isaiah know they wouldn't listen, but said to him, keep being that sign for me. Mm -hmm. Isaiah's very name means Yahweh, the Lord is salvation, which echoes a major theme in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah writes in chapter 12, Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Now, 39 of the chapters of Isaiah talk about judgment, but Isaiah's message again and again lands on how salvation lies only in God. The only question is whether or not we will accept his offer. See, Judah refuses God's offer. Isaiah shares how they'll be conquered and taken away, but God will not allow them to be captive forever. Isaiah lets them know that after this happens, they'll want to say that the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And I absolutely love God's response to them. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God promises that he will follow through on the promise he made that a Messiah would come through the lineage of David, a Messiah who will ensure a plan for everyone to have a chance to have a relationship with God. See, as the greatest of the writing prophets, the book of Isaiah provides the most comprehensive prophetic picture of Jesus Christ in the entire Old Testament. It includes the full scope of his life. Now, here are just a few of them. The announcement of Jesus coming by John the Baptist, Isaiah 40, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It talks about Jesus' virgin birth in, in chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It talks about how Jesus will suffer. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yeah, it talks about his sacrificial death in chapters 52 and 53. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He was despised and rejected by man, mm -hmm. a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely yeah. he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. I mean, listen to the truth of this prophecy. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah talks about Jesus' burial. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So Isaiah is packed with so many incredible promises that God will do. Why? Because then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. And then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Yeah. We can trust God never breaks a promise. In Isaiah, we see the simple yet powerful gospel message. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
We are like sheep who each one of us believes that we know the best way and choose our own way. Sheep are cute, but they're notoriously foolish and walk right into harm's way, directly stepping off of cliffs or into moving streams and drown. They don't have a lot of forethought or insight. You know, they're pretty much focused on like, where do I get my next bite of grass? Yet God tells us he understands our condition. He understands our tendency to be confused and to wander, to be driven by meeting our immediate desires. And he reminds us that he's our shepherd. In Isaiah 40, it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. Yeah. See, the gospel is not about how we went searching for God, but how he came searching for us. This is not about our attempts to find God, but his attempts mm -hmm. to find us, his people. Why? Because God says of us, even in our broken and rebellious state, Isaiah 43, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Yeah. See, you are precious which means God is going to seek after you as Jesus shares in Luke 15. The shepherd leaves the 99 to go for that one who's lost. It's a crazy kind of love. Boy, I tell you, Isaiah is just so filled with clarity about who Jesus is and um, so many verses. He tells us more about who Jesus is when it says he will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be. And although people will hate him and won't listen to him, he will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die, but he won't stay dead. He will come alive again. And one day when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and the trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth. Everything sad will be washed away with gladness. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And he will heal every painful thing. So incredible. How does this apply to us? As followers of God, we are that remnant in this world. We can miss seeing the signs God is telling us just like the Israelites. And it's important for us to ask ourselves, what are the signs God is giving us today? What are the signs God is giving you today? What are we doing with those signs? There's numerous ways that God gives us signs. And today we saw three ways with Hezekiah. First of all, through the word, the Bible. I mean, this is our foundation for knowing who God is and how he may act. With Hezekiah, he was told, don't have any other gods before me. So Hezekiah took down every idol. We have lots of signs in the Bible. It says, don't get drunk, don't gossip, don't let money have more power in your life than your love for God and others. And when we don't follow these warning signs, there are consequences. Yeah, God also uses signs through like prophetic words. We see God's messengers like Isaiah share words from God. And this still happens today. This gift didn't pass away in the Old Testament. We listen to others who pray for us and ask God to speak. Sometimes they have a word or a picture or a dream for us. We can, we can see if their message lines up with the Bible and if those words resonate with what God's speaking to us as well. But prophetic words can also be seen in the wisdom we receive from others. God also can speak through circumstances. When you see the miracle of an army ready to attack you that is all of a sudden dead, it could give you an indication that God is protecting you. That God doesn't always cause circumstances but he can speak through them, like even in the COVID thing today. Now, God has used this season to help us focus on what are the things that matter most to us. We've heard that we've been given this opportunity to reset, right? So with this reprioritization, we can ask ourselves these challenging questions as we're about to reboot or as we're starting to start back up again. How do we reopen safely? How do we get the economy rebooted? You know, and earlier this week, another horrific circumstances that Ross prefaced in our beginning prayer. This is a danger sign with this death of a black man caused by the police. It cries out, 
listen to me. You know, I was talking with my brother. He lives just a few miles away from where this happened in Minneapolis. And his experience of the riots that have ensued after is incredibly grievous on so many levels. These signs can give us a clear understanding of how we want to live. How do we want to use our voices? In the midst of this long season of frustration, of isolation and uncertainty, it seems to make some things more clear. We need to care more for each other today than ever before. And we can miss the power of what God is wanting to do in this season. God is still God. The invitation in the message today is that our relationship with God is meant to cause others to say, we want to get to know this God too. So how do we do that? We're not left on our own power, mm -mm. but we celebrate the truth of what God has done and is doing for us as we remember today is actually the day that we celebrate Pentecost. Yeah. Penta means 50, refers to 50 days after Jesus' resurrection or Easter. Easter and Pentecost define these two moments, bookends in history of the church, because you have the resurrection of a conquering death, and then 50 days later, Pentecost, you have God pouring out his spirit, birthing the church in that moment. After Jesus resurrected and appeared to many, he ascended into heaven and told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Jesus said they would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts 2 tells how the Holy Spirit came down and what appeared to many as tongues of fire, resting on the people, empowering them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The language was from, from all over the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Pentecost was one of the three Jewish pilgrimage feasts. So there were people there from all over the world. And God empowers the disciples to speak in languages they didn't learn. So people hear the gospel in their own language. Yeah, so cool. 3,000 were baptized that day. Mm -hmm. And hundreds returned home as missionaries to their native lands. This was the ultimate fulfillment of yet another one of Isaiah's prophecies in, in chapter 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The spirit was poured out. This suggests an overflowing abundance, an unprecedented deluge. The promise that God will pour out his spirit was for Judah and is for anyone who says, I am God's. It is God's promise to us. And the text goes on and says, we will flourish like green grass and trees planted by flowing streams, implying that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing or mm -hmm. a sporadic thing, but a continual life-giving, infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it gives us hope. Yeah. The disciples were in a time of reset. They had spent 50 days waiting on the promise of what Jesus had said, waiting and praying. And then in one day, they grow to 3,000 people. Now, it's not like the disciples got up on the day of Pentecost and said, well, well, here's the plan. We'll go to the temple and be praying and tongues of fire are going to come down and this is going to be cool and we're all going to speak in different languages. I mean, they don't even have a category for what's about to happen. It's unprecedented. And there's no way that he can, they can be prepared for what's going to happen. The disciples simply were praying and being open to what God wanted to do and they made time for God to move in the ways that he wanted to move. And that what is true then is still true for us yeah. today. God is wanting to pour out his spirit, his blessing on a thirsty and dry land of our lives and through us to our community and our world. Let's give God space in our lives through prayer, through thoughts and actions and remembering that he's promised to pour out his spirit, to drench us in the power and presence of his spirit. It's so powerful to remember. It is not by our strength that we do this reset. God is empowering each one of us to be this receptacle of him. 
So some action steps to take this week could be, you know, we've talked about signs through his word, prophetic words and wisdom from others and through circumstances. You know, God can use these big signs as this pandemic. And he's also, because he's so personal, will give us individual signs too. So to become more aware of them, one action step would be to take a piece of paper and ask God a few questions. Write down any words that come to your mind. Um, God, what have you done to show your love and patience with me? God, what are the behaviors and attitudes in my life that are not honoring to you? And then ask um, for some signs through the word. Ask some friends to pray for you and ask God for a word for you. And be watchful of circumstances, what God may be wanting to speak to you in them. And then ask him for more of the Holy Spirit to be drenched. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, God, for your relentless pursuit of us. Like an incredible shepherd, even when we don't want to and won't listen, you still come after us. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to the places where we push you away. Mm-hmm. Help us to repent and turn toward you. God, we ask you to move more and more in our mm-hmm. lives. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and signs, the signs that you give us, the, the ways that you are at work in our lives. Lord, let your spirit spill over in us over our families, over our workplaces, over our neighborhood, our city, and our nation. Lord, we ask that you would drench us with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.